0: everybody and welcome to an all-new third nerd uh i am back this week and i am joined as ever by my good friend my friend from down under mr adam Howes. adam how you doing brother
1: i'm good how are you
0: i'm doing really well man it's a uh it's monday for you it's sunday for me so you know I'm just watching this basketball tournament that they got going on. I, I hear it's supposed to be a fun tournament. So I am checking it out. I believe it's called March Madness. <clears throat> yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Currently Zion is uh, doing his thing and uh, has Twitter talking. I just noticed.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he's good at that shooty hoop thing. But, uh, yeah. but we, uh, We have a guest today, man, and I apologize if I sound weird. I am just getting over the flu. I lost my voice. Uh, It was crazy, man. I wound up in urgent care. My roommate wound up in the ICU. He, uh, and this is not a joke. This is not me trying to get laughs or anything. He legitimately thought George W. Bush was president. Um, That's how out of it he was, and that's when we had to take him to the ER, like, He didn't know who I was. The only person he knew was his dad. Um, Wow. And at first they were treating him for meningitis and encephalitis um, because the symptoms present similar. And so they were just blind treating both while they were waiting for the bacteria cultures to come back. And then they came back and they were just totally negative. And they like he went septic just based off the flu. It was crazy. He he literally went septic off the flu. Um, yeah, that
1: can happen, man. That can happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, <laughs> he, he's been kind of thanking me for the last week because he was so out of it. And I was the one that kind of called his dad to have his dad come over because I, I just sensed that something wasn't right. And then that's when they took him to the hospital, and they're like, "Dude, if somebody hadn't noticed this, you could have had permanent brain damage and/or died." And I was like, "Wow, all right, I I did a good thing, apparently." So uh, <laughs> I'm just happy my best friend is around. That's all I care about. Like he he's the guy I read and and game with. So, but uh, we are joined. Speaking of reading. We are joined by the Eisner-winning author, author of Ricky Barnes, uh, Young Allies, Mystique, uh, man, so many different things. I could go on and on. Mary Jane and Peter Parker. Uh, I, I, I would let I would let this man toot uh, any any uh, horn he wishes, Mr. Sean McKeever, Sean. First off, man, I want to say thank you for joining our Piddly Podcast. We were fortunate to have one of your old artists, uh, David Valdeon, on the other week. So it's nice to complete the set.
2: Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. I love David.
0: He's such a great guy, man. He was a fascinating person to talk to as well. Like, genuinely fascinating. His insights and the way he presented what he did really kind of blew my mind when he was talking about seeing art as an, as its own language. And in the way he presented that, I know Adam and I were sitting there afterwards going like, man, I feel like I got super baked and went and saw like a guru of some kind. And <laughs> just that, like knowledge presented to me that my mind can't handle right now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome.
0: So it is actually awesome to have you on man and and um I'll just kind of get straight to the point like how did you what did you always know that you wanted to be a writer? Was it something that you were shoehorned into because of your natural your nature? Uh, what, what what drew you to writing?
2: Um, I guess on some level I always, uh, knew I wanted to write. Um, I, you know, I don't know that I wanted to do it as a full-time profession, necessarily. Um, but, you know, even back... I, I can think back to, like, second grade, third grade, I think it was. Um, you know, like, I wrote, uh, directed, and starred in a, a play um, that was with, like, Spider-Man and Daredevil in it, you know, um, that that I got to perform for the class with some other students. Um, you know, and in, all through grade school, all through middle school, I, I enjoyed writing, and and uh, I was drawn to to like Stephen King, and um and obviously comic books um, were a lifelong obsession of mine as well, and and um you know I even submitted to Marvel when I was uh in high school, you know the for the first time, um so I always kind of wanted to do it, but I didn't think about it as truly as a career until uh, until. After college,
0: Adam.
1: Right, oh, I have one question: uh, Is there videotape of that uh, Daredevil uh, Spider-Man uh, school play?
2: <laughs> there is not, but there, <laughs> there is, there is videotape somewhere, um, somewhere uh, on the internet of of um, of me dressed as Daredevil for a music video.
0: But, cause I'm I, saying I, I, I feel like you could potentially have a lengthy Broadway run already written you just may need to fine tune some aspects of it so the fact that there's you're telling us we, we, we have to take you at your word I would lie about this if I were you you're telling us <laughs> there's no footage of this play hint hint wink wink but you could be sitting on a masterpiece. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Well, you
2: know, I mean, this is like, we're talking about like 1980, you know, like there, people weren't walking around with camcorders back then.
0: <laughs> That's the unfortunate part, you know, back then. It's- <laughs> no,
2: I'm it's glad not- I'm glad growing up that, that we didn't have, you know, I mean, if if I were growing up now with with everybody's phone as a camera and and you're on the internet all the time, oh, God, oh, How embarrassing would that be?
0: You know, it really does kind of take almost... I don't want to say the fun out of being a kid, because fun adapts. But you can't imagine... I mean, I can, because you kind of have to do it in your everyday life as well. But not to the extent that you would have to worry about it as a child. I can't imagine having to worry that any stupidity that should be chalked up to... Uh, youthful exuberance um, and, and just general crap that kids do, it, it could be misrepresented on the internet in any way, shape, or form. And, and that could ruin your life, man. Like, it could ruin yeah. your life. Like, yeah, yeah. Simple, simple stuff
2: becomes a global uh, uh, permanent record, you know?
0: Yeah. It's crazy, man. So what I want to know then is is you talked about what inspired you, what sort of got you, but when did you officially get your start? Was it off a submission? Did somebody come and contact you? Was it a friend of a friend? How did how did the first official uh, uh, authorship of Sean in the comic industry happen?
2: Sure. So um, so I, to look at that, I, I basically go back to high school. Um, I had um, my parents owned a, a hardware and sporting goods store in this small town in northern Wisconsin. It's a town of about you know twelve hundred, thirteen hundred people. Um, you know, one stoplight kind of town. Um, and we had a bookstore that sold comic books. But you know, I wanted to I wanted to sell comic books, and I, I was aware that there were such things as comic book stores. And uh, the grocery store next door, they had they had gotten rid of their old magazine racks. And they were actually still in really good condition. And I asked my parents. I said, um, "If I wanted to start a business selling comic books in your store, can I take one of these four foot magazine racks and put it on an end display on one of the aisles and and start selling comic books?" And they and they thought that was, you know, a great bit of uh, of entrepreneurship and 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 initiative. And so they said yes. And so I started. So I, I was a comic book retailer in a True Value hardware store for. <laughs> Oh gosh, I started that in like, um, 88. Uh, and, and, so, um, when I, when I got into, to adulthood, I, um, I wound up, you know, on, as a lot of, uh, people my age did, uh, in the early nineties, wound up on the internet, going to places like CompuServe and AOL. And, uh, and as a retailer, I was able to meet a lot of, uh, comics professionals and, and really just um, the community then was, the comics community online was, you know, tight-knit already anyway. And they would, you know, if you were a fan, they would, you know, um, it's the same as it is now in a, a lot of ways. You know, people will, comic creators will just will t- just engage you in conversation on, you know, online. Um, so, so that was really cool. And that was a nice way for me to, to you know, talk to some uh, comic creators and get some perspective. And then I started going to comic conventions. And this is about the time that I really started trying to pitch stuff. And, and back then, you know, I, was, I had it in my head I was going to write Spider-Man. And I had all these um, terrible ideas for Spider-Man stories, frankly, that I would pitch to Marvel. And, uh, and, you know, I wasn't getting anywhere with it. I was just getting these rejection notices. Oh, excuse me. My nose is getting stuffed here. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, And so, uh, excuse me, so after a bit of of butting my head up against these rejection notices, I I thought about what what would I want to write about if it wasn't, you know, Spider-Man. And I looked around at a lot of comics that were coming out then. There was, like, Stray Bullets uh, by David Lapham and uh, Strangers in Paradise by Terry Moore and Hate by Peter Bagg, and I, I thought, well, these are comics that I really love that, you know, are a bit off the beaten path and they're not about superheroes. And, you know, they're about crime and romance and, and, uh, humor and, and, uh, pathos and all that kind of stuff. And, and so I came up with a series uh, called the waiting place, which was about growing up in, in a small tourist trap town, which is exactly what I had just uh gone through. And, uh, I threw through a friend on copy surf. I found artists, uh, from, Pennsylvania, who were willing to work with me, and we made the first issue, and uh, I took that first issue around to publishers in San Diego at Comic-Con in 96, and, uh, you know, they would all drop them into these, these giant submission boxes, and, you know, it was a, it was a very deflating sort of experience, but, uh, but it turned out that uh, Dan Votto, who's the president of Slave Labor Graphics... He read the first issue and liked it, and he wanted to read number two, so he asked uh, to publish it, and that was that was how I got started.
1: Right, that's that's quite a genesis. I want to go back to, to eighty eight for a second, where uh, yeah. young young Sean is uh, starting his uh, comic comic empire. Um, did you uh, did you have actual spinner racks? That in, in the in your parents' store or was it like some other different stand? That's the first part of this question. And the second part of this question, is there any key issues that you sold back then that you regret not having now?
2: Um we I didn't have any spinner racks uh per se. Like those were those were kind of pricey to, to get. Um so at first I, you know I just had this four foot um and it was Maybe with like ten shelves, this magazine rack, like one of those two tier ones, like you see in any bookstore um, and then and then and then I keep building on, you know, and I had of course you know uh back issue boxes, long boxes um, and uh and we oh at one point we created a display, we took uh two hallmark card uh no four hallmark card racks and built like two walls to to secure them together and made like a giant comic rack out of the thing um if i have uh if i have those pictures uh i'll i'll send you guys one um and show you but uh but i mean by the end of it it was like a 250 square foot uh business you know um and it didn't it didn't make me a lot of money and and really um when i got into the 90s and the the um the the comics implosion happened uh, around 94 um, I wound up uh, converting more to to selling uh, magic cards because that was making me more money. But uh, but it was it was a lot of fun. And in terms of you know I mean that that period didn't really have like key issues key issues right. But I do think every now and then it's like oh man I remember that stack of amazing Spider Man three hundreds that I had. You know, what if I had just never sold those to anybody? <laughs> but you can't have that kind of forethought. You just can't, especially at that point, because you feel like, you know, even though there was a lot of speculation going on and people were buying boxes of X-Men number one, you know, um, I mean, you're just thinking, you know, there's no way like everybody is bagging and boarding their comics. Now, there's just no way something's going to become worth, you know, hundreds of dollars anymore. Um, yeah. And that would turn out to be not true. Um, and, you know, I sold The Walking Dead number one to prove it.
0: <laughs> what? Yeah, I was about to say who, who inspired you as you were. I mean, you mentioned Stephen King, but when you were writing at. at I want to know. I mean, comics, of course. I mean, everybody wants to know who inspired who in, in in comic writing, but like, I imagine that that authors are drawn to authorships of all type. Are there any? I don't want to say stand out or or surprising, but maybe somebody might be like, oh, I, I didn't think that Sean would read that. Like, I mean, are there, are there some surprise inspirations in your life when it comes to writing?
2: Man, I don't, I don't have that kind of outside, uh, uh, like, perspective of myself to know what, what would be a surprise. Um, I mean, I, I was, you know... Um,
0: like, if you come out and tell me, you know, Dante... Uh, Dante's Inferno was a really big inspiration, but <laughs> like that's kind of what I'm hitting at here, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. Jane no, Austen. Yeah, there's nothing. There's nothing. Uh,
2: yeah, I can't really think of anything too far off the beaten path in terms of my influences. Um, you know, I, I think I was influenced by uh, uh, John Carpenter movies. Um, I was influenced a lot by television. Um, uh, the writing on Homicide, Life on the Street at the time, and ER uh, were a big influence um, in my writing. Um, and in terms of comics, it was you know Kurt Busiek, uh, Garth Ennis, Paul Jenkins, Warren Ellis. Um, you know those were those were the ones that I was really um, following because they had you know they had um, what they did was exciting and and had a very um, good understanding of its own tone and, uh, the characters had a lot of dimensionality to them, you know? So that, that's, that's really kind of what I, what I always, uh, would look for in my comics people. And then, and then in terms of, you know, um, yeah, outside of like movies and, and, and books, a lot of it was kind of horror related. And I, I really was a big horror fan growing up and, and always wanted like all my writing was horror like in fifth grade um i would i would totally get kicked out of school for this now but uh in fifth grade i started writing a sequel to the movie halloween in prose form and my teacher would let me read it to the class like every friday and uh i think this went on for maybe just a few weeks um but uh but like i would i would kill have i would have michael killing other class members in the story <laughs> and uh uh the the teacher told me um well you have to end it that it was all a dream <laughs> it's like it's the only way and so i like i ended it though it was actually all like a, a movie being made you know and 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 all the all the um all of the classmates were that were themselves but they were playing themselves for the movie and they didn't really die <laughs> but uh but i'd be i'd be sent to the to the rubber room uh nowadays that's a red
0: yeah I i can i can't i can't see that uh flying the teacher would be like first they'd call in your parents and be like is he being bullied that we need to know about i mean right again things i can't imagine that you know we got away with when we were kids that were just imagination running wild now would be considered warning signs it's
2: well, and, and I mean, and it would be a legitimate warning sign, you know, I, I, I'd i be lying if, I, if I, yeah, for sure. I had those kind of that, I you know, I mean, I was I was just kind of a weird kid. But I, I did also have, you know, feelings of isolation and um, and and, you know, some resentments that, you know, I went through um, with, you know, certain classmates and stuff like that. So so there's definitely it's definitely, you know, warrants further you know, I, I mean, at some point, I should have been going to see a therapist anyway, you know, um, now, now in my 40s, you know, I'm riddled with uh, anxiety, depression, ADHD, all this stuff, you know, and, and as a teenager, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, you know, I think that I'm like mentally retarded, and nobody will tell me nobody has the heart to tell me, you know, like, I, I just felt like something was really wrong with me. And everybody's just like, Oh, you're fine. You know? Um, uh, <laughs> so, so, you know, I think, I think that that that's kind of the double-edged sword of, of that sort of uh, creative mind. Um, yeah, no, it takes, I, it takes you to some. It can take you to some really dark places.
0: And there's no, you, you know, I grew up in foster care and in group homes, so I I immediately know what you're talking about when you talk. And it's like, you know, I would I don't have the type of personality where I would ever act on them, but the imaginative stuff. I could come up with to do to these people, (laughs) boy, man, like that knows no bounds, right? And And that's uh,
2: and that's a nice form of release, right? Because you're not acting on it, and you're just you're fantasizing and
0: and the on it, but I'll be damned if I'm not putting Bob through a blender, you know, like (laughs) it, it just. It has to go down, man. And, and and you know what I do understand why they call it warning signs, but I wonder what the counter to that is. Like you acknowledge, yeah, man, I am isolated and I am depressed. And and some of this stuff is rooted in that, but it really is just a creative release. Like this is right. me doing this is me writing, you know? And I I, I don't know I don't know how receptive um, i don't have children i'm i'm almost forty i don't i don't have children but i'm i'm curious as to how receptive uh uh administrators and teachers are of that stuff in this day and age
2: yeah and I, well as you know the i mean two things to point out also is like is like i'm you know i'm i 'm just talking we're just talking as as people who aren't experts right and then also like the the other thing i'll note is that you know, so far as I know, like everybody who's who's been, uh, you know, like a, a school shooter or um, or you know just any kind of uh, uh, mass killer, um, you know, they didn't necessarily share the same kind of traits and upbringings, and you know, um, just because you know, just because you're you know, you can't trace back to being uh, from being a um, a mass shooter to to having been dark and disturbing and creative right <laughs>
0: right like, that would eliminate there are a lot of different warning signs that would eliminate works like you know Stephen King and so on like you you don't want to stifle that type of creativity but yeah i right. agree with you i think there's other things that should go along with those types of thoughts directly working in tandem the thoughts by themselves those are natural, I think. Like, yes, they, they were for me. They very much were for me. Very natural. Yeah,
2: I, I think that's true. I think I think it's a matter of realizing that your thoughts are, are just thoughts, and they're not um, they're not um, treatises or, or or manifestos or you know um, right. or, or commands. <laughs>
0: you know- you know it's not a declaration of intent in any way shape or form it's just right. hey i know i want to write this and this person is going to serve as the inspiration for it you know now right. does something happen to them unfortunately for that fortunately for me but, you know, it's it's just a body of work. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I do think it's cool that, that you got that start and were able to do this stuff. Like, already I'm listening to you, and, like, you wrote and directed a play involving Spider-Man and Daredevil. <laughs> I've never accomplished that. And now you're reading horror stories to your classmates where you're killing them. Again, never was able to accomplish like. I'm, I'm sensing that, like, you knew from a very early age... Oh, oh, crap. I almost left out the creation of your own comic empire. Um, I get from a sense from a very early age that you knew that you weren't just going to be a creator of content. You were going to be a, a, a disseminator and deliverer of that content as well. Like, it seems like you knew that you wanted to engage the business side as well as the creative.
2: Yeah, that's true. I mean, um, probably from, from my first uh, real play, which was the, um, so the eight, eighth, it was the eighth grade play, I played Tom Sawyer. That was when I realized I wanted to be um, a film actor, actually. Um, and that's where my focus was uh, going into college. I was a theater major. Um, but then I, you know, I looked at the realities of it and, and it just didn't seem, it didn't seem like something I would, I would enjoy, even if I was successful. Um, I, you know, I didn't want to be, uh, the starving, um, you know, starving actor in Hollywood waiting tables. Um, and I, nor did I want to be the person who couldn't go for a walk without being noticed. Um, you know, so, so I, I, Basically, I, um, my fifth semester, I, you know, I, so I, I realized I didn't want to be a theater major. I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. Um, I flunked every class that last semester except for screenwriting. And I thought, OK, maybe I should do that.
1: Who are some of your favorite uh,
2: characters, Sean? Sure. Oh, um, you know, it was from the very beginning. It was Spider-Man, Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Um, I was like, I don't know, maybe like two or three years old and, uh for whatever reason I I saw the Spider-Man cover and I really wanted it and I didn't know what it was even or anything. I was just drawn to this colorful character, you know? And, uh, so my, my mom bought that for me and, and that started my lifelong love of comics and of Spider-Man. I wanted Spider-Man everything every year for Christmas, Spider-Man, Spider-Man, you know, and, and, um, and so it was it really, I didn't branch out very much. Like I, I read some like Batman and Superman and stuff, you know, cause they were familiar characters and it was okay. Um, but I didn't even really branch out into the, into the Marvel stuff, even though I was reading Marvel team up every month, you know, and I was being introduced to all these characters. I wouldn't go, uh, seek them out. Um, you know, Spidey was just my comfort world, you know? Um, and and it wasn't until, it wasn't really until uh, Secret Wars happened that uh, I started picking up other books like, you know, Uncanny X-Men and and uh, Daredevil. And, um, well, that was more Secret Wars, too, that I picked up Daredevil um, when it started crossing over with everything. But uh, but Secret Wars was the one that really got me to start looking at, you know, Fantastic Four by John Byrne and, and you know, all these other things that were going on. Um, that was all... Uh, new and exciting to me, even though I was familiar with the characters, uh, and that, and so I was, you know, always kind of a Marvel kid growing up. Um, I became a big Wolverine fan, um, definitely back when, you know, it was Claremont and Ramita Junior on Uncanny X Men. That was um, that, yeah, you know, he was my favorite, and then Rogue would be my second favorite back then. I really liked her. I liked, uh, I really liked Rachel Summers back then as well. In that, like, around two hundred ish era. Um, and, uh, and from there, you know, I got, I got into Daredevil quite a bit, actually, um, that Ann Nocenti and Drownermita Jr. again, run, um, was, uh, was terrific and strange uh, and wonderful. Um, but it was really just, it was really just Marvel for me growing up. You mentioned
0: Garth Ennis. I'm I'm curious, and I don't mean to butt in here. Did, did you ever get into the Punisher Max series? Because as far as i'm concerned that's probably one of the peaks of of garth ennis's and and he's done so much tremendous work but by god that series is is the bible for the punisher and i'm just curious if you ever got into that
2: i still have the um the oversized hardcover that's um that's him and steve Dillon. the welcome back frank yes i like that i like that a lot um Punching
0: a polar bear, man. I want to know where they came up with that. Like,
2: yeah, yeah. I I could I kind of couldn't get over like when they when when they came back with that run, and it was I think it was Dylan, and then it was maybe Derek Robertson after that. Um,
0: I think it was Jason like, Aaron. Like Garth, Garth had had this habit of of um, whenever he'd bring a superhero into
2: Punisher, he would just totally make a punk out of him, you know, and. And I get it, you know he's not into that stuff. But I always it always rubbed me the wrong way, um, except for the time when <laughs> when he uses Spider Man as a human shield in the uh, in the in that Punisher Welcome Back Frank Maxi series. That was amazing. <laughs> and then at the end, like Spider Man kind of wakes up all woozy from getting beat to death by the Russian, and and, and Frank says, "We had a team up. You were great. <laughs> I love that." <laughs> but uh but so I didn't get back into it until the until I think it was branded as uh Punisher Max or it was a first the first Max series where I I'm trying to think of who some of the artists were on there but he there were some amazing artists on there and they were dealing with with some very serious um topics uh like human trafficking and and that sort of thing yeah. I, I never read it. I never read all of it, but um, someday I'm going to go back and get those trades and, and read through that stuff because it it really was terrific. Um, and yeah, Jason Aaron's later uh, Punisher Max that was actually almost more of a Kingpin uh, story was. than a Punisher one. But I but I loved it. It was great.
0: Yeah, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. I thought the uh, the final issue uh, w- was. I you know th- there there's many different ways they could have ended it, and I really like the, the way that they did. I won't spoil it for people who haven't gone out there and, and read it, uh, but you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, yeah, that that really was kind of a Kingpin run more than a Punisher run. Um, but yeah, no that that I, you know I was able to actually pick up. They have uh, I want to say it's seven volumes of the Punisher Max. Okay. Uh, that they had them on sale on Amazon, and I was able to get them for like $10 a piece, and some of them were only $20. So I got all seven volumes of the Punisher Max imprint. Um, every story, like the one Slavers that you're talking about, yeah. uh, it's, it's got all of them. The Barracuda run, everything uh, in those seven volumes. Um, so, if you wanted to get those, I would. I'd, I'd suggest check out Amazon because they've had sales on those uh, several times. I just happen to own them all, so I haven't needed to capitalize on any more than the one sale.
2: Yeah, Marvel doesn't like to keep uh, <laughs> stuff in print for too long. They'll 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 put it on liquidation uh, after before too long. So,
0: yeah. Um, just
1: going back to um, the start of that conversation where. You were talking about the, the first, uh, first Spider-Man comic you got. What issue was it? Um, you know, I, I can't tell you
2: for sure. I want to say it was uh, Spidey Super Stories. I think it was number 18. That was, it was the uh, bicentennial issue that had Captain America in it. Um, so there were a couple issues of Spidey Super Stories. My first issue of Amazing Spider-Man was 149, which was the end of the Clone Saga. Um, which is why, you know, as a, as a young 20 something, when they declared that, uh, that the Peter Parker I've been reading from my first issue of amazing Spider-Man was in fact a clone, I kind of <laughs> lost my shit, <laughs> but they, they, they kind of, they kind of, you know, uh, went 180 on that one.
0: Yeah, yeah, I've been reading the clone saga too, uh, just for... I don't know, I guess you could say shits and giggles, I just nineties one yeah yeah the yeah. the one the one involving the uh the jackal and the the three different versions of Peter Parker, yeah, it's uh everybody hated that run from what I've gathered on social media, but it's not been bad i guess I guess if you're not if you're not involved in the intensity of what they're doing at the time, like if if they did something similar, like the time that they made Punisher Supernatural, I will never forgive that.
2: <laughs> the Avenging Angel, yeah. Oh my
0: God, dude. That was the worst thing to ever happen to comics, man. And I will never, ever forgive them. Well, for you know, it. they tried it and, <laughs>
2: and Garth Ennis wrote it out in, like, acknowledged it and wrote it out in, like, one panel.
0: Oh, was it was, was amazing, amazing. Yeah, he, yeah. He got rid of that crap really quickly.
2: Yeah, Um, I I think, you know, I think the the thing with the with that 90s clone saga is that um, while it was happening, it was um, it just they they stayed the course for so long, even though even though people were just were not having it. And, you know, there's I mean, there's a lot of people who can tell you a lot better um, about the whole thing. But but my understanding is that it was meant to be a short run uh it started selling like hotcakes they came up with a longer storyline then people started to get frustrated with how long it was going and they just realized that they had to stay the course to make the story work um and it was to the sales of the series detriment in the end but yeah it could be perfectly good i i had stopped reading um At some point during that, um, I stopped reading Spider-Man until oh, I don't know how long it was before I picked it up again. Probably oh, probably around the time that uh, Straczynski uh, was on it and Paul Jenkins was on uh, Spectacular is about when I got into it again. So that was a good you know six seven years. Less than that, I guess, because what Straczynski was definitely writing spider-man when uh when 9-11 hit so that'd be 2000 so yeah like maybe like four years i quit reading it
1: right so we've, we've touched on like some of your favorite personal characters who are some of your favorites that you've actually written well i mean that's that's also spider-man for sure um i yep. loved writing him
2: it was um i got to write him a few different ways. You know, um, I did uh, some Marvel adventures comics, which are like single issue, all ages stories. Um, I got to write him within his past continuity a couple times, which was cool, including, I got to write the first ever, uh, team up between him and Iceman and Firestar in Marvel continuity, uh, which was really fun to do. Uh, and I got to, uh, I got to write a Venom story that kind of took place around the McFarlane era. Uh, that was a lot of fun to do. Um, and then I got to do Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane, which is the thing I'm most proud of at Marvel. Um, and that was an opportunity for me to, to really just create my own version of the Spider-Man world um, to a certain extent, you know, and use whatever cheesy villains from the 70s and 80s that I remembered and adored and just throw them in for a panel because it's not about who's Spider-Man's fighting or any of that stuff. It's about, you know, it's about Peter Parker and Mary Jane and her crush on, on a fantasy character, you know? Um, And, and that was, that was, man, that was a fun book to write. Uh, It was basically me doing the teen romance stuff I did with the waiting place and kind of an all ages pop version of it with my favorite superhero. You know, I mean, that was just, that was perfect. Um, But, you know, over the years, I mean, there's, there are so many characters that, that you really kind of, you know, I mean if you're writing it and and you're dedicated, you grow attached to the characters, you know, and I mean I I miss writing Mystique. I miss writing the cast from Inhumans. Um but some of the ones I really miss the most um I miss Ravager from DC quite a bit. I miss uh Ricky Barnes Nomad quite a bit. Um and uh Yeah, those are the two main ones really. Um but but you know there are so many characters um, from those that, that, you know, for me, like when I write, I, you know, I have to really care about a character to really hurt them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, uh, and so like, it's the characters that I came to love and hurt the most that, you know, I I really, I really miss quite a bit. You know, I miss, uh, I miss being uh, sadistic to them.
0: (laughs)
1: us take it away man
0: yeah i was about to ask about ricky barnes man that was a truly fun series um i really enjoyed that the way it carried into young allies uh and also the onslaught story uh wasn't uh was philippe andrade the artist on onslaught yeah that's right yeah okay yeah, yeah, yeah okay yeah He's, for, you know, man. He's a controversial guy. When when I read the com- the comments in the back of the books, and I, I don't, don't understand, understand it. it. I don't think his art is is any like. It's a little different, but it's it you like. It's not like you can't tell what's going on. I don't. I don't. I don't understand yeah, people who. Can I think. I
2: think it. there. I think there are a lot of people who who. Look for something a little more traditional around the lines of you know like a ramita or a dusemma or you know that kind of that kind of stuff and and um you know when when we were working together on well actually we worked together in the back of Captain America first um on nomad and then and then on uh on onslaught unleashed you know i i, I think philippe uh philippe is 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 very attuned to uh, storytelling and tone, and and that's where he delivers. He's not about like um, establishing every brick, you know. Um, and I thought, in terms of creating a mood for that onslaught, like that onslaught miniseries is really my ode to the John Carpenter movie *Prince of Darkness*. Mm. And and so it's basically, you know, it's basically a horror movie and, with superheroes in it. And so I thought he did a terrific job of that. But I, I get I get why it's not some people's bag it's not your usual Marvel stuff. If you're not a fan of say Umberto Ramos, you might not like, you know, Philippe's work. Um but you know, teach their own.
0: Yeah, I really enjoyed his stuff especially on the Captain Marvel run with Kelly Sue DeConnick. Um I know that there that's that's really when I was first alerted to uh to, to people complaining about him, I'd never really noticed it before, but I kind of got drawn into the to the letters page because people were concerned the book was getting canceled. So I was like reading how it went down in real time, and then some of the letters were directed towards him, and I was like, "Oh, this is a thing." <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Some people
2: some people just want it more grounded and less impressionistic.
0: Yeah, and I I don't know, I have a problem with the impressionism. Like it's yeah. It, it's not a big deal to me. I actually agree with you. I think that when I look at his work, I see the emotion of I see the emotion that the writer is trying to deliver. Like mm-hmm. that's where his central focus is. He draws the reader straight into the emotion he wants you to see, and everything else is ancillary. Like it's just there. It's not important to what he wants you to see. So pay right. attention to what it is he wants you to see because he's telling you his own story.
2: Right, right, and yeah, and it's the same thing with writers. It's just with with artists. It's it's funny. It's with artists. It's more it's more visceral and visual, right? right. And you and you know it because you see it, but you can't describe it. Like like we're all bad at talking about art. You know, it took me talking about Philippe for two minutes to think, oh yeah, he's impressionistic. You know. Um, and I, I write comic don't history. worry, dude. It
0: took me, it, it took me hearing you confirm it to be comfortable saying it because right. I thought it was impressionism, but I wasn't sure. So you saying it confirmed <laughs> it to me. So don't don't feel bad at all.
2: Right, but but
0: yeah, but I I think that
2: that's an issue. You know, just in general with not just comics fandom, but you know, comics um, critiques and even the comics industry. I think. You know I think um writing is a harder thing to pin down, but we understand the language behind it uh a little better uh, but we don't understand well enough the language of of art and you know I think that that's i think that's something we can all myself included um you know um dive a little deeper into and understand better i think you'd you know I think we'd all wind up appreciating uh what we're looking at so much more
0: you know, I- I'm curious, and then Adam can jump in on you know a couple couple last things here before we get you go let you go. What is your process? How from from beginning to end? What's your process when writing a book? How frequently do you communicate with the artists and inkers or interact with the letterers? I'm especially curious about the letters. Um, or do they just kind of do their own thing unless there's a special request or? or i i what how, how does this all go down for you? Are you the director of it because you're the writer um
2: it, dep- it really depends a lot of times on uh the publisher it depends on the people who are working on it uh it depends on the editor um some editors aren't really for some weird reason they're not big a big fan of of the various components communicating without them in the loop um you know and some some are some are uh you know, um, some will just take your script and give you notes, and then you'd see the thing when it when it's printed. You know, and and maybe they've rewritten some stuff. It's you know, so that that kind of relationship is all over the place. It can also affect the the actual uh, 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 communication between creators. Um, with with artists, you know, it it's the same thing though. It um, it depends on if how much they want to, and you know, I don't tend to. Uh, want to overpower an artist you know and 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 direct them too much like anything like any direction I give them is there in the script it's a you know I I use a script as a communication tool you know it's it's um, a document um, that's a letter from me to the artist and that's how I look at it and so if if I'm not being clear I would want them to reach out to me or reach out through my editor or whatever Uh, you know some some artists I'm uh, friends with some I'm I've never spoken with like David uh, Um I would love to meet him. He's in C2E2 this weekend and I didn't, I didn't go this year. Um, so I didn't get to meet him, but like, I don't, I don't recall us uh, conversing much outside of an occasional email of, of like, Hey, love what you're doing, you know, kind of stuff. Um, but that's fine too, you know? And, and sometimes, um, you know, I'll get questions every month from, from an artist back in the day. Um, now working on outpost zero, I do operate in almost a showrunner kind of capacity. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm heavily involved with the editors in, in every aspect of the book. Um, that's the editors at skybound. And, uh, you know, I, um, I'm always communicating with them about the art and everything. Um, my current letterer, um, uh, ariana mar i communicate with her now and then as well i you know and i communicate with her in the scripts um you know and i say um like in issue um what was it issue five of outpost zero there was a there was a song and i said well you know here's here's some of my thoughts on how you might do the song um you know in terms of the lettering and you know and then she came back with with her own kind of take on it and the editors had their feelings on how on what they prefer. And, you know, we came up with something really cool and, and, um, and I, you know, and, and so I do like to keep in touch with her because I think, I think she's doing some really clever stuff and I'm learning things from her. Um, and so that's, I think that's a, a great relationship. You know, I do like to be able to be in, in touch, um, if I can, cause it does make it feel more like a collaboration than just like I hand it off, I take a check and then I see the, the finished product a few months later, you know, um, it's, it's much nicer to, to feel like you're all uh, part of an actual team instead of a bunch of people spread across the world sitting by yourselves in your offices or whatever.
1: Right on. Um, I just want to touch on, on something uh, from back in your early in your, earlier in your career, and that was um, when you did some work for Devil Jew on their uh, G.I. Joe Frontline run. Was that a sandbox that you enjoyed? working in or 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 is it one that you would like to jump back into perhaps in the future or um you know i I was one of those kids like
2: when i um so gi joe and transformers in the u.s in the 80s like they aired like after school on weekdays and for me after school on weekdays i would walk to my parents store and i would work there or just be hanging out there or whatever so i i wasn't really ever a into those shows, you know, I didn't, I didn't have anything against them. I just never watched them. Um, so it wasn't really like a thing for me and the comics weren't really something I was into either, but um, that came about cause um, like I had just started getting some work at Marvel. I had written an issue of the incredible Hulk um, and a couple other things. And I knew Josh Blaylock, um, you know, we I had have- a lot of mutual, we had a lot of mutual friends and he was, he was the guy who had gotten the GI Joe license um, and and ran Devil's Do Productions still does. Uh, yep. And he 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 had a character he had created who was the daughter of Zartan, and and he asked me if I'd write the uh, origin story, and and that was a lot of fun actually. I I really enjoyed getting to write um to write that kind of story that that skirted the line between like being brutally real and being in a f- kind of fantasy world, a heightened you know, like uh, almost a Fast and a Furious type fantasy world. And uh, and that was pretty cool to write. And I, I really liked working with Francis Portella, who I see is still working in the business, uh, you know, and I'd love to work with him again. But uh, I don't really have any particular, like I, I have no real inclination to, to jump into into the G.I. Joe universe again. It, it You know, they had to, uh, Josh had to give me quite a lot of notes actually on, on any of the stuff that I had, uh, uh, the dreadnought saying in that, uh, because I, I just didn't have their voices
1: down. Right. Right. Um, well, I guess switching sort of, uh, lanes again, um, with, uh, Disney's acquisition of, uh, pretty much everything. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What uh, what um, properties do you think would make for uh, some good films now that they uh, have pretty much all the all the characters at their disposal except for a couple,
2: right? I think I think everybody kind of has that uh, that fanficky idea of like how you would introduce the X Men into the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe now, um, mm. you know, and like like I you know I think it would be I think it would be cool even if they found some way to dovetail it out of the the current crop of films that they're doing, you know, with, with, say with dark Phoenix and, and new mutants that they somehow were able to, uh, uh, you know, like sort of do a um, wanted curved bullet <laughs> to come up with some completely uh, meaningless uh, metaphor, um, you know, just, 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 just to kind of ease it in there somehow. And well, they've got the Eternals. Really,
0: They've got yeah, the Eternals slated. Yeah. Do do you think that could be a good backdoor for them?
2: Um, not really. I mean, I don't know what their plans are for the Eternals, but I I feel like um you know, unless they want to say somehow that, that, you know, um that mutants are an offshoot, but that's kind of what the inhumans are. Um you know, I I don't I don't know. Um I think I think the simpler the better. I just wanna see something that gets me excited. Like, if there was some way that they could end, you know, Avengers Endgame with the idea that, like, you know, there's this new thing happening and, you know, and, and children, people are being born with strange powers and, you know, um, that would be interesting. Um, but, you know, I don't, I, you know, I, I have no idea what the, once you mentioned the Eternals thing, I'm like, yeah, what are they doing there? You know, and I've, I've not really spent any time thinking about that. It seems like a weird choice in the way that the Inhumans was a weird choice and, and turned out mm. to not work out. So I'm a little a little nervous, but I was also nervous about Guardians of the Galaxy and then look at what that was, you know. <laughs> that was amazing.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's, it'll be interesting to see how, that, how they shoo on them in, you know. Um, yeah, they can't, bat, they can't bat a thousand forever, though, you know. I
2: mean, something's going to come up that's just going to be a stinker. It's just inevitable. Yeah, that's true, too
0: the inhumans was definitely yeah, yeah but that that was more of the tv people yeah that was, know, that, that, was, that was ike perlmutter not kevin that wasn't that was ike Mutter and not yeah. kevin feige so yeah i mean i it, it bummed me out i will say that they moved in humans from a film to that crap um I really felt like Inhumans could be fun on the film side, but Feige Feige clearly knows what he's doing. And thus far, he's. This kind of dovetails into my question. Like, how do you view the state of comics as it currently sits? Like, did you ever think there would be a time when comic book movies would consistently be the most profitable films made in Hollywood? Like, could you have even fathomed this when you first got in, when you first built? your stand in in your parents' store? Like, did you did you even think that this could be a thing?
2: You know, I always... I mean, the extent to which I loved comics, I always felt that it had that potential. Um, but I felt that most of the world didn't share that point of view. And so, therefore, no, I, I didn't think, you know, it would ever uh, be a big blockbuster kind of thing. I remember... Like, around 1990, there was going to be a, a Spider-Man movie made um, by by this uh, cheapo company. I think they were called 21st Century Productions. Um, and they had gotten the rights for cheap for Spider-Man. And I saw an ad in, in a trade magazine when I was, and this is a whole other story, but I was an extra in a, in a horror movie uh, that was shot up near me. Um, and so they had, the, they had, like, Hollywood reporters sitting there, and I saw this ad for the Spider-Man movie. And it was just, it was disheartening. It was disheartening in the way that when I was a kid and they had the Spider-Man live-action TV show and he never fought a supervillain and he had ropes for webs and it was all very tedious and boring. Um, and, you know, and, and as much as I kind of enjoyed the stories of the Hulk show, it was the same issue, right? It was, it's a very mundane sort of show, um, and so I was always kind of down on the idea of adapting that stuff cuz I didn't think they could ever do it and they kept proving to me that they that they couldn't capture the energy and everything and now obviously they can and they have and it's it's pretty cool. Uh, you know, I I think if I was younger I'd be kind of like oh I was fan first, you know, but uh, but now I'm just like yeah, bring it. Bring as many, you know, bring as many people into our cult as as we can. And I you know, and i I'd, I'd love that because I mean Comics as a business is suffering right now it's not doing great um, you know it's it's um, on one hand it's the the um, the gross numbers are higher than they ever have been but on the other hand it's um, there are too many titles and and books are are you know being canceled all the time and and um, numbers are being propped by <laughs> incentive variant programs that have nothing to do with the the quality of the books they have to do with uh, you know pleasing uh, uh, stockholders you know and and um, it's it 's kind of a scary time watching stores close and 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 uh, and all this kind of thing you know and, and titles not not reaching their audience while you know like all these shows and movies are being made out of not just superhero properties but but all kinds of comic book properties you know so it 's a weird dichotomy right now.
1: Do you think? Do you think that, like, just touching on that in terms of like the flooding of the of the product, do you think that the movie, like, obviously the movies that are, that are being made and and the shows that are being successful and and massive properties, you know, from look at just Captain Marvel for instance to the Netflix series of late that were all cancelled, um, do you think the trickle down effect of those is that? You would think that people should be buying more comics, but do you think it's it's a result of like people are reading less these days because we're so wide into the internet and we've got so we're so spoiled for choice in terms of media that that sort of organic sort of medium has sort of I guess it's not to the like to the, besides main collectors and like super comic book enthusiasts. Do you think there's less kids, I guess, picking up books these days? You know, as opposed to back when we were kids in like the eighties and stuff, where we didn't have you know, smartphones and tablets and all this sort of jazz to, we had to use our actual imaginations to to entertain ourselves. I think I think there's something to that. I think, um, you know,
2: I, th- I think there are a lot of factors. One, you know, one of them being that that still the the general public looks down on comic books um, as a as an entertainment form, even though all the things that they're entertained by right now. Are overwhelmingly from those, you know. That's the source. Um, that you know, there, there's, you know, they just feel like it's alien, um, or, or, you know, for children, um, that's one part of it. Um, you know, I think, I think another part, you know, I think you do see um, when it's something like, say, Deadly Class or Umbrella Academy or uh, Hellboy or Sin City, where it's a single title. Property, I think you do see like a nice sales spike for those properties in the in terms of the comics. So people are reading them, just as mm. you know you see you always see exceptions to these to what seem to be the reality. Like you know the Harry Potter books and YA books, you know selling like hotcakes. And and actually you know one of the bright spots in bookstores is that, and and one of the bright spots in the comics industry as well is that uh, comics and graphic novels are the biggest uh, growth. Uh, department, you know, in bookstores uh sure. for a few years now, you know. Um so I, I do think that people are picking stuff up out of curiosity and stuff. I think that when it's one of these Marvel things, it's hard to there's nowhere to send them. Right? There's mm. there's which Captain Marvel volume one do you do you buy? Yeah. With, you know yeah. um uh you know with, um when it's Spider Man, which Spider-Man series, you know? Um, there's not, you know, there's nothing that's pointing to them saying, oh, read Ultimate Spider-Man volume one, you know, Mm. or, uh, you know, or, or, you know, the first volume of, of whatever trades are for the Nick Spencer, uh, and, um, um, oh, I'm blanking on, on, uh, Otley, the Spencer and Otley amazing Spider-Man run, you know, like there's, there's just too many things and it's kind of overwhelming, I think. Whereas when you look at Sin City and you see, oh, here's, all these sin city books and I can read them in any order or you see a deadly class volume one or walking dead volume one, you go, Oh, there, that's where you see it. Yeah. There.
1: yeah there, you're right. I think that's, I think you hit the mark on that. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's there's, we're so spoiled for choice in that, in that. Spot. Yeah. 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 And it's, and it's, you know, it's partly the publisher's fault. Um,
2: Cause it, I mean, it, but I'm not, I'm not saying it's easy to, to uh, put these things out in a way that, that it's easy for people to grasp what's what, um, mm. you know, but, but, you know, in, in every business, there's that, what they call a funnel, you know, to, to get you to be a regular consumer. And, and the funnel for a Marvel or DC comic is, you know, it narrows really quick. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: It's a big, it's a big wide opening from those movies. And then immediately when you go to Barnes and Noble and you're like, wait, what? Or if you go to a comic book store and it's like sensory overload, (laughs) you know, you don't know what to do. Luckily, there are a lot of helpful retailers who are happy to to help people find something, you know.
0: That's what I market myself as on Twitter, man. Because I know that there are a lot of people out there that want to ask questions about the movies or the comics. But, you know, when they try and ask these basic things, they're mocked or they get a tone... That and and I follow some of these people and like them, but they do reply in this tone. If it's not mocking, it's you should you should know this. I don't do that. Like I, I refuse to be that. If you have a question, I don't care how you should know this in quotes. It is, I will reply to you. In 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 a very in a normal way, as if you are asking a legitimate question because you are. Yeah. You need, like you said, trying to get into comics, and this is—it's so weird to try and do it with people. Right? All the time on Twitter, I get people like, "Hey, I've been following these movies and decided I want to read comics." where should I start? And I'm like, well, shit, dude, that's a loaded question. (laughs) Like you need to tell me what your personality is. Like, what do you think about? Like, how do you view crime? Like all these types of things. Like my roommate is the most introverted, calm guy. Like he's in a wheelchair. He had a brain tumor as a child, then a spinal spinal tumor as an adult. So he lost his eye as a child, and then lost his ability to walk right at around, uh, th- uh, right at about thirty. Um, <clears throat> and uh, he he never says anything; like he's like quiet as a church mouse. So naturally, his favorite character is the Hulk. <laughs> like me, I I couldn't really hurt a fly. So naturally. My favorite characters are the Punisher, Thanos, and Carnage. <laughs> I, I enjoy sociopathic killers. It just... Adam, Adam, who are yours? Daredevil, I think, right? Oh,
1: well, you know... Well, uh, the Punisher, you know, has always been...
0: Moon Knight!
1: ...a favorite of mine since a kid. Moon Knight's another one that um, I'm big into. Um, <sighs> Yeah, I got I got a few, man. Um who else off the top of my head? I, I guess it's terrible. Yeah, I am a Daredevil fan. Um I, I've I've never really bought his his, his stuff like religiously on, like I've just dipped in and out. I'm, I was a lot, I was exposed to him a lot, I guess, because of you know, when I was young, I used to buy Spider-Man a lot as well and as well as the Punisher. So they those three have always oh, sure. been in the same mix, you know. And unfortunately, I don't have any of my original Spider-Man comics anymore cuz I had a lot and uh that one stings me. But
0: um I had the yeah. entire Age of Apocalypse collection in the original print and I no longer have that.
1: Mm, yeah, we all have we all have one of those. We all have one of those. Um but yeah, like I dip into different things, man. You know, I
0: recently I it's, um, right? it's personal. What you what you like is personal. It's attached yeah. to your personality.
1: Yeah, like I, I recently, like I'm, in, I'm into into like kung fu films and stuff like that. So I recently um, went and bought um, the Lone Wolf and Cub books that Frank Miller actually pens the forward to and did did the cover art. They were like a release of of a re-release of the original books. And he did like the cover art for these re-releases. I think it was, I want to say it's for star comics or something like that. I can't remember the brand. And uh, yeah, he does the forward for each of them because he fell in love with those, those books. And I I fell in love with that movie when I was a kid and I'd never had the books. So buying them recently and reading those, they're great. You know what I mean? So it just depends. Like, you know, it's a personal medium, you know what I mean? And yeah, there really is something for, everything, for everyone now, isn't yeah. there? Yeah, definitely.
0: And I mean, especially if you look at, right now, there's a lot of sense of being the other in today's society. And you look at when Stan Lee originally created the X-Men, That's that's sort of what their role was, was being the other that was chastised against, like, mutants were singled out because they were born with powers nobody gave a damn about the superpowered normal people they cared about the people who were born with a genetic you know to them dysfunction
2: well except for oh. jay jonah jameson i mean
0: <laughs> right. right right spider-man was still the number one menace but <laughs> jay jonah jameson will forever be my favorite you know what when J. Jonah Jameson was cast as Jay, but with JK Simmons, I was oh, like there, there need never be anybody else who plays this role. Ever. Absolutely
1: perfect casting. Perfect. Yep.
0: But I don't it's so good that Marvel had better drag him in if they introduce J. Jonah Jameson into the MCU. They oh, had yeah. they had better drag his ass in. Like, I don't care. Work it out with J.K. Simmons. Yep. I remember I remember. I was in Vegas. And you know they have those people that are like, hey, if you do this, you'll get all this free crap. <clears throat> well, we had to go watch a TV show. And it turned out to be a comedy with J.K. Simmons, which eventually aired on TV with he and Jenna Elfman. I want to say it was like, about the Fishers or some crap like that, um where he played a blind lawyer. Uh, but the original trailer that they or the original show that they had me watch had Parker Posey cast in it instead of Jenna Elfman. Huh. And like, I remember writing in my thing. I'm like, listen, dude, i would i would I would legitimately listen to J k. Simmons, read the phone book or the Bible, but like get Parker Posey away from this.
1: <laughs>
2: it yeah, turns, she's a particular kind of talent,
0: right it turned out that I wasn't the only person that felt that way because by the time the show made it to air, Parker Posey was nowhere near it so that that's my j k Simmons story that yeah, so uh, before we get you out of here, man, what I want to ask is what's next for you that you can legally talk about
2: well um pretty much everything is out there in the open right now i mean there's a there is a game that I've worked on uh couple of years ago that still hasn't come out. But I'm, I get the feeling maybe it never will, uh, which is unfortunate, but I can't talk about that. But, um, you know, I've, I've got Outpost Zero still coming out um, on a monthly basis. We take a month off every time a trade comes out, and that's out from Image Comics. Uh, number eight was just out uh, last Wednesday. Um, I've got coming out later this year. Um, not much to say about it, except that um, it is – an x files interactive narrative game on your mobile phone oh nice um, that you'll be able to play um, sometime later this year um, on an app called storyscape that um, is currently available in Canada um, and it's that's uh made by uh fox uh, and uh that's that's pretty much it for now um uh, you know talking to some people about some other comic book stuff but uh, but this uh x files game is. Is kicking my butt. So I gotta, I gotta keep it that for now.
0: Are you a, uh, are you team Mulder or team Skelly in, in when you, when you watch the show? I,
2: yeah, I, I could never take a side. <laughs> I mean, I, I think, I think when I was a kid, I, when I was in my twenties, I mean, I, I, I enjoyed Mulder's passion. Um, but I also most of the time agreed with Skelly's analysis, you know?
0: Right, right, it was like they were they were opposite sides of the same coin most times um what I can ask here is, were you among the people that wanted them to ship, or were you happy that they kept it platonic and focused on well
2: what yeah they I thought- was all
0: right.
2: I was all right with the more platonic uh i, I was never somebody who was like, oh they're finally gonna get... you know i I feel like, honestly, like after uh, the TV show Moonlighting, like, like, eh, I don't really need that anymore. You know, it's like the will they, won't they kind of stuff. Um, although they, I guess they did a good job with it in the uh, U.S. version of The Office. Um, but I, I just like I like, you know, I like to explore the nuance of the relationship, whether that goes to romance or somewhere else. Um, just make it make it interesting, you know. And I, and that's part of what I'm trying to bring into uh, this game as well. So that's um, but I, yeah, I never I never shipped them. Um, now that there are a couple, it's kind of cool though. It, it I think it adds a nice um, a nice another dimension. To their... What's that? Another dimension. Yes, another dimension. And you know <laughs> they should they should tr- go to another dimension in one of the shows. That'd be cool.
0: So, well. Adam, you got any last things you want to ask him before we get out of here?
1: Well, I feel like we could talk to Sean for like hours on end, but (laughs) different topics and and TV shows and movies and whatnot. But um, because clearly you're a bit of a cinephile, um, much like myself, and and I I know Josh is into movies too. Um, But we'll let you go. I hit him with the
0: top, hit him with his top three movies. Now I want to know. Oof. Go on. My, my top three, absolutely. Oh,
2: see, I, I hate these kinds of kinds of lists. But let me let
0: me just yeah, open really three. quick. In order and understanding that the list can change based on your mood, what are your top three yeah. right now? All right, I'm gonna go with
2: Upstream Color, um, the Limey, and um. yeah, I know. <laughs> And seven.
1: Ah, oh, seven. A great two. I haven't seen The Limey in years. Yeah,
2: yeah. That's. I think that's just such an uh, underrated movie. It's um, the big thing about it is the editing. Um, that dreamlike uh, scene to scene editing was just incredible to me. It's like it's like you can watch that movie not knowing if he's on the plane before or after all of this happens, you know, and it's, it's really, it's just a, I don't know. It's, it's just a terrifically uh, made movie for, for what is a, basically a very simple plot.
1: Yeah. Terrence stamps, brilliant in that film as well. Yep.
0: Adam, what are yours? Oh,
1: uh, top three.
0: Don't, only fair.
1: Top of three, top three off the top of my head. Oh my gosh it's like asking me to pick my favorite children it's uh, i'm like you Sean i I struggle with these. um yeah
0: these everybody can pick their favorite child
2: <laughs> spoken like a single man or at least a, or at least a childless man
0: yeah a, chi- a childless man <laughs>
1: yeah. it's 10:30 a.m. and i haven't had coffee yet so my brain is like not fully stimulated the way it needs to be um, um Look, I, got, I have to throw. Oh man, I, I really want to. Fr- I can throw so many things at you, and it it, it just won't be right. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna. There's at least there's at least one Tarantino film in there. At least. Um, Which one would it be? Well, uh, Reservoir Dogs is like a go-to. Uh, uh, yeah, I prefer, I prefer that over Pulp Fiction. Um, of the of the later ones. I really enjoyed the hate to late. Um, so let's go with either of those two. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's so tough. It, it's so tough. Like, uh, yeah, I could go a very easy route and like, put my strikes back in there, you know, but then I could go to something so cliche and cheesy, like, you know, like aliens or, or predator, you know what I mean? Like it, right. it just, You know, like. Well,
0: since you're being a wuss, I'm
1: being being an indecisive wuss.
0: You are. You are. Indecisive is a great way of putting it. Look, I would have Infinity War in mind because Uh, I am a Thanos guy, and seeing that done on that level, very few people. Look, here's the way I justify it. If you have somebody that you've built up in your head, especially if you're a person that is, is very imaginative and has that sort of active brain that won't stop even at night. <coughs> um, you build these things up in your head and there's this level of expectation that you hit where you're like, I need to see this. I want to see this, and then it's usually followed by, and they had better do this. I didn't feel like I had to say anything because I trusted what the Russos would do, and then in seeing this character that I've loved for well over 20 years come to life the way that it did was truly awe-inspiring to me. It's 20 years of expectations Played out in the most magnificent comic book movie I've ever seen. Um, I would have Boondock Saints in there. I have loved Boondock Saints since I first saw it in 2002. Um, just a tremendous film. Uh, it, 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 it may have been a little cliche for some people. Um, and definitely, probably got to that point at before the sequel came out where it was like almost like you had to be cool. If you didn't watch it, you weren't cool um, sort of thing. Um, But I always loved the film for what it was. I thought it was a tremendous bit of commentary on what would actually happen if we, because again, my favorite character is the Punisher in a sense the brothers, the McManus brothers, are acting as the Punisher. So I thought it was a tremendous bit of commentary, because they, they basically took the premise of the Punisher and they created a real-life version of it. Um, and then, and this is going to be probably ridiculous, people will be like, come on now, it's Elf. Wow.
2: I still, <laughs> That's I still, a charming I still, movie.
0: I feel like if you have a movie that you can put on that will put you in a good mood no matter what, that's a that's that's a movie you should love and cherish. And Elf is see, that for me? See, that's seven for me. <laughs> but that's how my brain works. <laughs> and that's seven. that's totally great. I totally get that. It used yeah. to be Scream for me. Oh yeah, I, that's a fun one. I, I, man, I, I tell you that that is an underrated West Craven film. It truly is. So you're you're a big Boondocks uh,
2: Boondocks Saints fan. Have you watched Overnight? I haven't. You, are you familiar with it? No, I'm not. It is a documentary about uh, the writer director of Boondocks Saints, and Troy it is Duff.
0: fascinating. I heard he's a. Uh, Let's say complicated fellow. Yeah. But it, it, you know, and it's,
2: it's not, it's not just a, like a let's dunk on, on Troy movie either. It's, it, it really is about how the Hollywood system will chew you up and spit you out. Um, but yeah, but yeah, there's, it's, it is also a fascinating bit of sort of almost reality TV. Um, Where, in it. But, but I think, I think you would, I think you would appreciate it quite a bit. Um, uh, given your, your love for the
0: movie. No, I absolutely would. Is that something I can pick up on Amazon Prime or iTunes? Do you know? Sometimes it. Sometimes it's, you know, it is, but I think <laughs> the
2: last time I looked for it, I, I had to buy it. I had to rent it off of Google or YouTube or something, you know?
0: Okay, that's fine. I can do that, too. That's no big deal. I Just as long as it's available someplace that I can watch it.
2: Right. Yeah, I, I mean, these days you should be able to find that stuff everywhere, but... You know it's it's not uh, it's not always easy.
0: Me, you I you haven't. Know where it is now? You have enlightened me. I'm going to check that out.
1: I'll tell, you, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what's not in my top three: the the Motley Crue film that just came out on Netflix. My God, I yeah. saw I saw a headline that wasn't very very oh. nice.
0: <laughs> you know, you know what film was disappointing was Triple Frontier. I was, was waiting I was waiting for that movie for so long because it is right up my alley. Special never teams even heard of it. <laughs> special teams operators and a heist. I am totally in. Yeah. And then it was just not what you thought it would be. Okay, like it, that's what I liked
2: about it actually. Really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that it was that it was just it was it was more about just um you know the capacity for human greed and and uh um and how it how it messes with your head
0: that's fair. I had no problem with what with what transpired with uh certain people and and what happened right. to them ultimately that didn't bother me as a matter of fact i I, I had a deadpool going and, <laughs> I I did not win that one. I was I was I did not win that one. But uh, yeah, I mean, I understood the human great thing. I will just say this: I wished that it had a bit more action. Right. Well, I didn't. I like I said, I had not heard about
2: it, and I I like a good heist movie, but I didn't have those heist expectations. Like, I didn't know it was that that it was a like. Uh, even even presented as a heist movie. Movies.
0: What are your top three? Because this is my favorite genre of film, heist films.
2: My, my your... favorite heist. My my favorite heist film is Heist. Mm.
1: By uh, David Mamet.
0: Adam, do you have a, a favorite heist film?
1: Favorite heist film. Um. Well, I guess you would put you would put Heat up there. Um. Yeah. I, remember seeing, I remember seeing that at the cinemas with my dad. So it kind of sold, holds like a little bit of sentimental value to me. And obviously I was a Pacino De Niro fan by that point, but in seeing them on the screen for the first time, that really sort of struck the chord. And the fact that it was a Michael Mann film and he just does great stuff. Um, Inside man. Uh, yes. Himself. Oh my Michael God. That
0: was, Clive. O, Clive Owen. Good Lord. That was a great yeah. film.
1: Um what else would I put in there uh oh, Snatch definitely Snatch <laughs> Yeah that's one of my favorite movies period I haven't watched it in a long time I need to rewatch that that was great that was Guy Rich, Pete Guy Ritchie Yeah um, such amazing but, kinetic energy in that movie Yeah I already touched on Reservoir Dogs so you know, I can throw that in the hat <laughs> again. Um and you know just from from sheer 80s From an '80s perspective, I'm going with what Point Break.
0: Oh, Point Break. That's fair.
1: Yeah, it's not not a full heist film, but there is elements of a heist film in it.
0: Fair enough. Uh, See, I like Inside Man. Um, That's one. I also really you you mentioned De Niro, but then you didn't touch on what I think was one of his better heist films, The Score, with him and Edward Norton. Um, I really enjoyed that as, as a one-off film. It was funny cause I was talking to people about how I wouldn't necessarily watch that over and over again, but it was such a good movie when I did watch it. Um, I actually really enjoyed tower heist. I thought it was a fun take on, on heist films. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, I thought the Italian job, uh, the original, was uh, outstanding. And I know I'm going to get knocked on this, but gone in 60 seconds. I think it counts. It's a car heist film, but it's a heist film. I'll th- count it. I'll allow it. Yeah, I, I, think, it's, I think that counts. <laughs> so th- those would probably be my favorite. But all you have to tell me is that we are watching a heist film and. Uh, and and that pulls me right in. Like I'm I'm completely in on that. So, um,
1: you touched on actually. You just reminded me of another one when you mentioned De Niro as the score. I thought you were going to say Ronan.
0: Oh God, yes.
1: That's a good film. That's a really good film, and a more a more recent one too. Um, that came to mind also was the town with Ben Affleck. That's brilliant.
0: You know, Ben Affleck, it's really weird. He stars in some tremendously amazing films, and then he stars in some films that you think would be great, and then they end up not being so. He's such an... He's an odd actor. Well, I wonder, you know, I wonder
2: how much of it is, like, we just don't know, or at least I, I'm kind of ignorant, like, of all the ways that that these movies come together. Right. You know, and where, where, like, what's the impetus... Who, who who's on board when, um, you know, what, you know, when was the script written versus when were people brought on board? You know, that, that kind of stuff that, that always makes me wonder in the back of my head as I'm watching things where I'm like, you were in this movie, you know? Um, and some people it's just like, well, you just like to get paid. Okay, I get it. You know, right. Nicolas Cage. That's just what you do. Um,
0: That's probably the best example for what we're talking about here. Yeah. He, ben Affleck also does a lot of favors too. He's a guy that, like, I mean, that's why he was in a lot of Kevin Smith's films. He's right? It's like crazy. that scene
2: that they did in James Allen Bob, right? Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Probably one of his best scenes in 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 all of his appearances in those films. By the way, it was tremendous. Yeah. But he was great in
1: chasing Amy too, as well.
0: He really was chasing Amy. Though, is such a depressing movie overall. Like. It's one of the ones in in the New Jersey... It used to be called the New Jersey Trilogy, so I'm just going to stick with that. Um, The New Jersey series, it it used to be the one that I would watch the least, because by the end of it, you're like, damn, it's depressing. I'm going to follow this up with Jay and Silent Bob instead of Dogma. Also, the casting of Alanis Morissette as God has to go down as, like, one of the great... I mean... I wonder what her face looked like when she got that script. Because like I'm sure even in her wildest imagination, she never thought she was gonna get cast as God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I mean she does a lot of things, but she doesn't strike me as somebody who plays God. And yet right. Kevin as Smith, alone like, a movie, right? <laughs> right. Kevin Smith comes to her as like, I have this idea. Hear me out. You're going to play God. <laughs> weird, weird, weird. Well, man, what I want to do before we get out of here is give you a chance to tell people where they can find you on social media. Uh, if they want to get in touch with you, uh, whatever sort of information you want to give out. I also know you got your own website you can give out um, so that people can get in contact with you. This is your opportunity to to pepper the air with whatever you want, any upcoming projects, any, anything that you want to sell at this point. The, the, the time is yours.
2: <laughs> uh, well, I've got my old TV I want to sell. Can I talk about that? For it, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can find me on the web at com, where I uh, keep a, a listing of everything I've worked on. Um, and you can also find me on Twitter at Sean K. McKeever. Uh, and that's where you, I usually am keeping people up to date and uh, talking about beer and comics and movies and TV and uh, and pathetic uh, self-indulgent things.
0: <laughs> and
2: it's a lot of fun. It's great.
0: I can confirm I follow him. So, you know, I, I confirm everything he's saying is true. Oh, well man you know it's it's been a tremendous pleasure to get to talk to you about you know you what inspires you what created you and and really what goes into your day-to-day process um adam man you got anything you want to say before we let sean go
1: no man like like i i sort of briefly uh alluded to earlier it was just great having you on i feel like we could uh could uh, chat at length for for a long period of time, but we need to let you go. So so thank you for coming on the show. It's been a lot of fun. Well, it's been a lot of fun for me too. You guys are great. Thanks a lot.
0: Well, thank you so much, and be sure to give him a follow, like he said, at Sean K McKeever. So what we're gonna go ahead and do is we'll uh, we'll let you go, and then Adam and I will wrap up. So uh, thank you so much, Sean. It's it's been a tremendous pleasure.
2: All right, take care, you guys.
0: You as well, yeah. man.
2: Yeah.
0: All right, man. Whoa, that was awesome, dude. I love getting a uh, an at length conversation with content creators, man. It gives me it gives me ideas and inspires me. Um, makes you want to read more comics, doesn't it, Adam?
1: It sure does. Yeah, it, it certainly does. It. <laughs> uh, it, it, I, for me, also, like you know, it 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 opens my eyes to to like work that the, the, these guys have done that I'm not familiar with. Like you're like, I'm a Olympic fan, but you're just, you're, you're heavily more immersed in the realm than I am. And even, even you do the same, you know, you, you'll put something on the, across the table that I go, Oh, this, this could be, in you know, in my wheelhouse. You know what I mean? And I'll check it out and be like, Oh yes. Yeah, is great. Um, so yeah, th- these chats, man, like they, they're in the, uh, ignite the 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 fuel of the passion even more you know
0: they do man and it's kind of cool because you're going to get the chance to read some of these things and uh and dive into them um after we get off uh you get to check some of that stuff out on marvel unlimited um yeah, man, I've, I've, I've got a list of things that now I'm going to read because of him, and I am going to go check out that film, too. Yeah, so.
1: the, Duffy, the one about the...
0: Troy Duffy? Filming. Yeah.
1: yeah. I, 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 while he was talking about it, I, I Googled it to see if it was on YouTube, but it doesn't appear to be. Um,
0: What's it called again? Oh, uh, overnight. Overnight, that's right. Yeah. I knew it started with an O.
1: Yeah, I'll have to see if I can source it somewhere because uh, that's one thing I didn't mention when you were talking about that film. That film's a, a favorite of mine too. That's a cult classic.
0: That film. The dark scenes. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's, it's a great film. And, and I think you and I have touched on it before in terms of the similarities of, I guess, stylistically, The Punisher and whatnot. I think we spoke about it previously, maybe in one of our other, other pods. But um, you're right. You hit the nail on the head, man
0: yeah yeah man so i uh like i said man i am ready to dive in i'm gonna read a typhoid uh i'm gonna read a typhoid the recent typhoid mary uh little uh graphic novel that came out it's a it was a typhoid spider-man typhoid fever spider-man typhoid fever x-men and typhoid fever um Someone else. <laughs> Everybody's involved. I don't know why, but uh, oh, Iron Fist, Iron Fist, right. So, yeah, it'll be a, should be a fun little book. But, uh, well, man, I uh, I don't know that we've got anything else to talk about other than you know Captain Marvel is is clearly going to hit one billion. Um, this mm. is no longer up for discussion. It's at nine hundred million right now worldwide. Um, it's yeah. already past Iron Man domestically. Um,
1: that's crazy. Uh, uh, that's crazy. Like, I, I think, like, I get it. It's a sign of the times. Obviously, these moves are gener- These movies have just become, a, you know, their own entity now. But uh, that that film for me, like, I'm not gonna. We won't fully get into this. A topic Conversation for another day, but that film for me didn't hit the right notes, man. I really didn't really didn't do a lot for me.
0: Captain Marvel?
1: Yep. I don't know if I need to watch it again, but it just didn't, just didn't do what, it for me.
0: What what about it didn't you like? Like what 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 inherently do you feel was wrong with it? I'm not I'm not trying to pick apart your opinion here. I, I, I respect it didn't like it. I did, you just elaborate so I understand. That's You just kind of left it out. I didn't like it. Yeah, no. no I've seen criticisms like it was, um, I saw one that I felt was really fair. Somebody had called it, it, they said it was too much of a phase one movie. It reminded them of a phase one movie. And I was like, Which okay, I, I, can, I can understand that.
1: Yeah, I think that's, I, I think it, that's, it being reminded of a phase one film is not a, necessarily a bad thing.
0: No, 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 no. But it was being used as a a small criticism against it in that the people almost want Captain America Civil War out of the gate. But people Mm. forget that Captain America, the first Avenger happened, you know, like Thor happened. These movies that they want to pretend didn't happen, happened like. Eventually, like, there are going to be... But anyway, what, what 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 did you feel was off about it?
1: Excuse oh, caught me mid-yawn. Um, I think... Uh, I don't know if... Like, I think... Okay, so first, I think Brie Larson was fantastic. I think she did a really good job. Okay. Um, uh, uh, it, it just didn't grab me. It, it just didn't really do a lot for me. And I don't know if it's because... You know, like I'm more of a street level character guy. So, okay. the cosmic characters, I've always never, I've been just like, yeah, you know what I mean. Like they're there, they do their thing. Hmm. Uh, but you know, and up until uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, like like Sean said in our chat just now, he was like, you know, well, you know, was that going to end up being a good film kind of thing? And I kind of thought the same thing when I, when that was announced they were going to do those characters. I was like, really? And but but it panned out and I love and I love those films now you know what I mean like those films I, made me a fan of those characters whereas it was you know opposite way around but um this film didn't make me go oh yes I'm a Captain Marvel fan it didn't really make me want to sort out any of of that character's backstory or anything like that it just i you know what I think Bruce was like. Way overhyped, like the cat. I'm just like, yep, yeah, cool. He's cat and he does his thing. And it just really, yeah. I
0: thought, I thought Goose was great. Yeah, it just but I, I think he just there, like
1: just he's just window dressing, you know what I mean? It just didn't really do anything for me. Um, I think Ben You're a, cat. Was- You're
0: a cat hater.
1: I'm not a cat hater, I'm a dog lover. I'm not <laughs> a cat a- hater. <laughs> <laughs> Like so if, you, if you
0: criticize Ben Mendelssohn, I'm ending the podcast now. i
1: was just about to say, old mate Ben, uh, as he always does, he does, does us Aussies proud, and uh, he was fantastic. But uh, the, I was a little bit taken back by the fact that the scrolls weren't the bad guys. You know what I mean? And I was, that's not what I know. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, um,
0: but, but that's the way it was in the comics. Mm.
1: But clearly, that's going to have to shift, right?
0: Well, sure. Yeah, I mean, things sort of shift when the scrolls plan a secret invasion. But
1: yeah, um, I, I so I was just like, eh, I don't know, man.
0: It just, it just I liked get- it. I, I I thought having that twist in there, which I already knew that the scroll. I didn't know if the scrolls were going to be the enemy, but I knew that Jude Law was going to be the
1: protagonist
0: (laughs) the big bad the 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 big bad um because yon-rog is the big bad for captain marvel like that's that's just sticking with canon like straight out of the gate there's no build-up to it yon-rog was always a nemesis like right out of the gate so i kind of already knew that there was going to be some twists but i really liked the way that they made the scrolls relatable like people just looking for a place to live hmm. and, and yeah, the tree were hunting them down and killing them yeah yeah look, that caught me
1: off guard and I'm not saying that was a bad thing I, I just wasn't expecting it but yeah just overall I, I just didn't uh, it didn't grab me maybe like I said maybe I need to watch it again um, you know sometimes movies with different people, they do, t- you know, they, they need to sink in. Um, it wasn't like Infinity War or Black Panther or Civil War or anything like that. Like, you know, movies that hit you straight out the jump. But, and like you might have made a valid point in that it is the origin film. So, you know, where do we go from here? Could be the next one, could be better. You know what I mean? And I guess obviously Carol's influence in uh, Endgame is going to be. Uh, going to be also you know uh, a bit of a, a a step up, I guess from this first film.
0: Um see, I, I sort of feel like like first of all, there really haven't been any super good outside of like, I mean, traditionally speaking, it, it, the the phase two introductions, have gone a little bit better like the phase two and three um but like iron man's intro film was sort of whatever um thor's was whatever captain america's was whatever you know like for for a lot of people i don't feel this way i have different feelings on captain america thor and iron man um but then you, you know, you get into characters like Black Panther and Guardians of the Galaxy and people just loved those films right out of the gate. <clears throat> so I understand the criticism that there is a little bit of a letdown here. But I also think that Captain Marvel had to introduce more um, than than some of those other films did. Um, Captain Marvel needed to introduce two different races. of. Uh, mm-hmm in in a fuller capacity um captain marvel also needed to to tie in to to the rest of the avengers um so there there were some limitations with the script that i acknowledge but look i get it it wasn't one of my favorite marvel films like or excuse me it was one of my favorite but it wasn't one of the best And I acknowledge that. Like, it wouldn't even make it into the top five for me. Mm. If you talk about best. Now, Mm. if you're talking about films I enjoyed, now that's a different discussion. Yeah. But I respect it. Yeah, no, I mean, that makes sense, too. I mean, for some people, it wasn't going to hit the mark. But, I mean, a lot of people feel like, okay, I would put it at, like, 15th out of, like, twenty. Someday.
1: Yeah, that's fair. So, that's fair. That's
0: fair. It's not the worst, but it's definitely not their best.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep, 100%. <sighs> anyway, man, that's, a, that's pretty much it for me. I need to uh, get up and uh, get out of, okay. the, out of the bed and, and do something with, else with my day.
0: nah you was. Uh, but yeah, no, I was about to end it anyway. Um, on that note, uh, you can find us on uh, Spreaker. Uh, you can also find us on iTunes. You can find us on a variety of different things. We're working on getting put on Spotify. It's a process. Trust the process. Um, <clears throat> and we will be back uh, with other interviews. I've set up a second interview with Nem for after Endgame. So we are going to talk. We are going to talk to Tony Nem Mitchell again. Um, and uh, we'll be talking Endgame, so that will be an immense amount of fun. Mm. Um, since he will be actually at the red carpet premiere of that.
1: That's right. That's right. He is too. Yes.
0: But um, if you want, you can find us on Twitter. I am found on Twitter at FightOnTwist on Twist. F I G H T O N T W I S T. You can find Adam on Twitter at Howzito. H O W E S I T O. No, uh,
1: no. All
0: right, Adam, what's your Twitter handle?
1: <laughs> it's you got a half right. It's like it's H O W S I T.
0: All right, Adam can't spell. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm joking. <laughs> um, so, yeah, how Howzito and Fight On Twist. Um, I would also like to take two seconds to thank our producer, uh, Scott Johnston, who fearlessly and admirably edits these podcasts. Um, and if you are looking for somebody to, uh, to run your show, uh, Scott is looking for clients uh, around nine or so uh, producing clients looking for people looking for a new producer. Um, for your show should be about an hour long if you're looking uh, for for someone like Scott. Um, and also who does vh mas- mastering in addition to podcast editing. Um, so you can go to uh, vhsmaster dot com. Um, and that is Scott's website. So thanks to Scott for doing this. Um, so for Adam and I, we will be back again, uh, talking more Marvel and, uh, you know, we didn't even get to the Disney Fox acquisition. So that'll be its own show next week. We will knock that out. So you have that to look forward to. Uh, and so for Adam, I am Josh. We will catch you guys next time. So thanks for listening to third nerd. Peace
1: guys.